It's a tough time to be religious in the United States of America. In 2017, a survey was done, a religious survey, and for the first time in our history, uh, those who were unaffiliated with any religious group, the, the nuns they are called, were the largest single group in our country. It is not a good trend. Other statistics are even more troubling, perhaps. We are told that 59% of our millennial children have abandoned the church and the faith with no intention of returning. That means about this many of your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren have walked away from the church. It's a very sobering reality. And when you begin to drill down into the reasons, you, un- you, you discover that there's a consistent pattern for many of them. Frankly, people are increasingly just sick of religion. They are sick of the institution of religion. They don't like and trust religious institutions. They don't like and trust religious leaders. They are sick of headline-grabbing pastors who get caught either uh, abusing power or carrying out sexual escapades or were financial shenanigans, and they're just sick of it all. I googled sick of religion uh, just to see what kind of a response I would get. 157 million hits. I didn't read them all. (laughs) But I read a bunch of them, and I need to tell you that it was almost an endless barrage of abuse and mockery and scorn directed largely at the Christian church. What was even more troubling, though, was that much of it was directed at Jesus himself. Uh, the, the things that were said about Christ, the, the profane images that you find when you, uh, when you begin to search through this material, it is very disturbing. It was upsetting to me. And it's ironic, actually, because if you know anything about Jesus when you read through the Gospels, you discover pretty quickly that he was sick of religion, too. He was sick of religion, not his faith. As we know, he was a faithful worshiper of the Father. He knew the word. He prayed. We often find him in synagogues. We will find him in synagogues in our text today. And yet, it was the religious leaders, the establishment, the hypocrisy and the judgmentalism and the scrutiny that Jesus found himself under from the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and all of the rest, that Jesus was just sick of it. It was his constant battle. Rome was not enemy number one. It was the the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes. They were Jesus' greatest enemy. It wasn't Rome that killed Jesus, not really. Pilate would have let him go if he could have. But it was the crowd stirred up by the religious establishment who demanded the crucifixion of Jesus. Turns out Jesus wasn't just sick of religion. Religion killed Jesus. So since we live in a culture that is increasingly averse, increasingly oppositional to established religion, and since we serve a master who himself had some real issues with established religion, I thought it would be wise and courageous for us to tackle the question, what is it, why was Jesus sick of religion? And why are those around us sick of religion? And I think as we look Look into these uh, texts from Mark in the coming weeks. Uh, I hope that in the end we will be a little less religious and a little more Christian. We're going to start today with uh, the last story that comes out of Mark, chapter 1, verse 40. 
We've been in Mark 1 a lot. That's how packed this is. It's just every little section is so powerful. But today we wrap up Mark chapter 1, verse 40. I invite you to listen to God's holy word. And Jesus went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in the desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is the word of the Lord. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us this day, this hard word for us. May we hear it and may we be changed by it. For we ask it, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Most of you know I grew up in a little uh, alfalfa farm in Yakima, Washington, western side of the town. And um, we had a lot of critters, uh, cats and dogs and gerbils and squirrels and bunnies and snakes and a, a worthless horse named Monty. And all of these critters and more besides uh, left all kinds of souvenirs around the place for a young kid to play with. How many of you grew up on a farm or a ranch of some sort? Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. You can go around any given day and you're going to find bones and fur and, and hairballs and poop, lots of poop, which we made use of uh, in those days. For you city slickers, this might sound really awful, but one of the fun things that we did was have road apple wars. You know what road apples are, right? Horse, horse manure, and man, they, they throw well. And there was a kind of a theme going here because uh, we also had frisbee fights with dried cow patties, which was also yucky, made all the yuckier because sometimes they weren't quite as dry as you thought they were when you flung them. I don't know how many times my mom, my mom said, don't touch that, don't touch that. It, it never stuck. In the time of Jesus, there were a lot of people that were saying, don't touch that. A lot of religious folks were saying, don't touch that. You can't touch that. Uh, Observant Jews were forbidden to touch anything that was dead. It would render them ceremonially unclean. You were not allowed to touch your food until you had ritually washed according to a certain way. Um, If you were a woman, you could not be touched or touch in any way another person who was not a member of of your family. In fact, to this day, if you meet an observant Jew, before you shake their hands, you might ask them politely the question, are you Shomer Negia? Shomer Negia, which means, are you observant of touch? 
If they're Shomer Nagia, you're not going to want to shake hands. You're not going to want to punch them on the shoulder. You're not certainly going to want to hug them. You're not going to want to touch them because they are observant of touch. There was a lot of don't touch that. But there was no touch that was more horrifying, more forbidden than the touch of a leper. Leprosy is common in the Bible. We find it often mentioned both in the Old and New Testament. And it really was a catch-all word to represent scores of skin diseases. And some of those skin diseases were really horrific, as you will see. Here's a man, modern-day man, with leprosy. That is an example of the kind of trauma that the body underwent uh, with leprosy. And because leprosy could be contagious and, and was incurable, then the, the diagnosis of leprosy was a social and emotional, and relational, and spiritual death sentence. The leper had to live off in a colony with other lepers, which meant that you were cut off from your family, cut off from your friends, cut off from your synagogue, cut off from your place of employment. You couldn't ply a trade because no one wanted to take anything from your hands. So the only way that you could survive was to beg. And there were really quite rigid rules about that too because the last thing you wanted to do was brush up against a leper in your ordinary work of your day. So there are all kinds of things that lepers had to observe in order to be avoided. For one thing, you could not comb your hair. Your hair had to be immediately, apparently, frizzy and crazy looking. Your clothing had to be torn so that people could notice you from a distance. You had to wear a mask over the lower part of your mouth so that your spittle wouldn't hit anyone. You had to stay 50 feet away from any healthy, normal person. And if you wanted to make your way through town, you had to carry a bell and ring it and say, unclean, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine walking around and pronouncing that awful judgment upon yourself? I'm unclean. I'm dirty. I'm filthy. I don't belong here. I don't belong near you. Stay away from me. For those of us who lived through the 80s, actually we probably can imagine what that might feel like. Because the 80s was the season of AIDS. Remember AIDS? Of course you do. It was a horrific time. We hear, began to hear rumors of, of uh, young men who were dying, particularly in San Francisco, of an unknown and apparently un, un, incurable and horrific disease. We have still images of Kaposi's sarcoma, the blotches that would appear on the skin. It was the telltale sign that you had been stricken with this death sentence. I was living in Scotland at the time, uh, during part of it, and I remember having a, a, a housemate who was a hemophiliac, he, uh, re- he acquired HIV through blood transfusions. And uh, I remember, because we shared the same kitchen, I one day inadvertently drank from his coffee cup. And to this day, I still remember the irrational terror that I had that somehow, by drinking after this man, that I might catch AIDS. It was crazy, but it was a crazy time. It was irrational. But there was nothing ir- irrational about what was going on at the time of Jesus. There were hard and fast rules 
about how lepers were supposed to behave, how they were supposed to stay clear in order to protect and preserve the health of the rest of society, normal society, which makes the behavior of our leper all the more outrageous and courageous. Jesus and the gang were making their way through Galilee, and, uh, and they were ripping it up. Boy, they were, Jesus was preaching, and they were casting out evil spirits. They were healing people by the droves, and his word, the word got out. His reputation began to precede him. And this leper heard about this healer. And in what must be one of the gutsiest moves in the New Testament... This guy says to himself, what the heck? What do I have to lose? And so when Jesus comes near him, in a complete violation of every social protocol, he walks right up to him. Not 50 feet away, he walks right up to him. And he kneels down and he begs him. He actually makes an incredible, powerful affirmation of faith, doesn't he? This was his statement of faith. He says, if you will... You can make me clean. He doesn't say, I don't know if you can, but if you can, I'd sure appreciate it. He says, Jesus, I know you can do this. I believe you can do this. The question is, will you? I'm not asking about your ability. I'm asking about your will. Would you, will you heal me? Now, if it was forbidden for lepers to approach normal people, it was doubly forbidden for lepers to approach a rabbi, because a rabbi would be rendered unclean ceremonially. He couldn't do his job. And so it was particularly outrageous that this leper would approach Jesus in this way. Mark, in his typically sparse, spare writing style, doesn't give us a lot of colorful commentary. He doesn't tell us about the people who were standing nearby. He doesn't describe the gasps of horror and the looks of revulsion on the face of the disciples as this leper makes his way towards the rabbi Jesus. He doesn't recount to us what must have been going on in their heads, which would be something like, don't touch that! Don't touch that loathsome creature! We don't hear any of that. We can only infer it. But Jesus ignored it all. And in fact, he did touch that. When we read that he was moved with pity, another translation actually says that he was filled with anger. Moved with pity, we can understand. That sounds so like Jesus. But filled with anger, we say angry about what? Angry that that this guy would approach him? That's not what we are led to believe. We get the sense that Jesus was angry not at the leper's audacity... He was angry at the leprosy that had stolen this man's life. He was angry at his isolation and his pain, his deformed face and body. He was angry at at the society and the culture and even perhaps the religion that shamed and shunned him so that he was so desperate and so lonely and so hopeless. This was what Jesus seemed to be angry about. And so we read Jesus in his mercy, moved in pity, filled with anger, He stretches out his hand and touches him. I think that's what's most incredible about this precious story. Not that Jesus allowed the man to approach him, although that was pretty incredible. Not that Jesus healed him, 
Because we already have seen his track record, and we know that Jesus can heal with a word. Only a few verses ago, at the Capernaum synagogue, Jesus cast out an evil spirit with a word. Next week, he's going to heal a paralytic with a word. But not this time. This time, he heals with a touch. He reaches down to the untouchable shepherd, uh, leper. He touches his rotting flesh, and he says, be clean. The story never once uses the word heal, which is interesting. It only and always uses the word clean or cleanse. The shepherd, the, the leper was not asking to be made well. He was asking not to be filthy anymore. How quickly did the leprosy leave him? Did you see it? There it is again. Immediately, the leprosy left him. I heard this week that we replace our human skin every three and a half weeks. Our skin completely replaces itself. That being the case, I do not understand why my new skin has less, doesn't have less wrinkles than my old skin. I mean, that would have seemed to be reasonable, right? It wasn't three and a half weeks. It was three and a half seconds. Or whatever immediately means this man with rotting, ulcerous flesh suddenly had smooth, perfect flesh. As smooth as a baby's butt. It made Jesus sick that this man, created in the image of God, beloved of God, but deformed by the brokenness of a a sinful world, it made Jesus sick that he was an outcast, he was unapproachable, that he had been separated from his society, his friends, his family, his faith. And so Jesus broke every religious protocol there was. When this man approached Jesus, he not only healed him, he touched him. And I think it was the greatest healing of all. Don't you? If you have been untouched for years, if you have not known the, the, the tenderness of human touch for years and years, you've been instead a source of scorn and revulsion, what must it have felt like to that man as he knelt there with his head down to suddenly feel, for the first time, human touch. How kind of Jesus. How kind of Jesus that he would heal this way. That he would heal the untouchable with a touch. There's so many wonderful things about this story. It is rich, isn't it? One of the things that I was reflecting on was really this, though, I don't know how you can read this story and not ask the question of ourselves, who are the lepers in our lives? Who are the untouchables in our lives? About whom do we cry, don't touch that, don't go near that, keep a good distance from them? Who would find it hard in our religious circles to find a place of acceptance? Who are we immediately suspicious of because of who we are and what we believe? Is it the teenage pregnant person, girl, who we're afraid is going to give ideas to our kids? Is it the person who is struggling with their gender identity, something that most of us can't even conceive of? Is it the person who's covered with tattoos or the alcoholic or the drug addict or the homeless person? 
Who are the untouchables in your life, the ones that kind of make your gorge rise? Cindy and I were walking down Soundview the other day on a walk, and we noticed two police cars in front of us parked next to Soundview. I don't think we have many more than two police cars, so I guess the whole force was down there. And, uh, and we noticed that they were talking to someone, and then he began to walk away, this man. He, he, he appeared to us as a homeless man. He appeared to us as a person who had some mental issues. His hair looked like the hair of a leper. It was just crazy. His clothing was unkempt. He was dirty. He was muttering things under, not very under his breath, out loud yelling things. And as we got closer to them, he, he walked out into the middle of the street and then began to walk right up the, 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 the line of Soundview up the hill. <clears throat> I, we continued on down towards the police officers, and I greeted them, thanked them for all that they do. And I turned, because they were still looking, I turned around and looked, and I noticed that he had moved back over to the sidewalk. And it suddenly struck me. He had walked into the middle of the street to avoid Cindy and me. He had walked into the middle of the street. He was rather going to face oncoming traffic rather than to pass too close to the two of us. And I couldn't help but think of our story, right? Because here is a man who, who knew he would, not, he would be found disgusting in this community, would not find much of a, of a warm welcome, and although he wasn't ringing a bell and crying out unclean, he might as well have been. He knew himself to be that, and he felt that he needed to be the obligatory 50 feet away from us. And I I felt pity for him. But I will confess to you, I don't know what to do with people like this. I am reluctant to give them money because I don't want to support unhealthy habits. And then when I don't give them money, I feel guilty, and so I don't want to look them in the face. So I'll avoid their, uh, their gaze out of a sense of guilt. But this incident last week is one of many over this last year that have been stirring in me, where I've been asking myself, how do I respond to these kinds of situations, these kind of people, in a a healthy and Christ-like fashion? And so, before this occurred, I had already made a decision and had begun to practice what may seem like a a rather lame gesture to you, but for me, it's a significant next step. I have decided that when I encounter persons like this, homeless or panhandlers or whatever, I've decided I'm going to look them in the face and say hello. And you say, big deal. Well, revolutionary. It is revolutionary for me because it is a step for me to move from viewing them as loathsome pariahs to trying to view them as the beloved children of God, created by God, saved by Christ, just like I am. It could be that the homeless thing, that's not an issue for you, that there are some other kinds of pariahs in your life. I want you to think about what that might be. Is your untouchable a, a political one? Is it that, that political, the politician that gets on the TV screen and every time you see her, you feel your, your, your lip curling? Are you... a are you the, the one that, that just cannot stand the, the socialist movement and they're the ones you despise? Or maybe you find the, the right-wingers to be loathsome and disgusting and destructive to our nation. 
Or maybe it's just a, a person, a single person that you know that, you've, that you don't like. Last week, I saw someone coming towards me, and I actually turned around and walked in the other direction because I disliked them so. More true confessions from your very flawed pastor. I heard of a woman last week who came out of Safeway and she saw a panhandler there and she said, we don't want your kind here. And my guess is that, there, that many of us share some of those similar feelings that, that there are certain kinds of untouchables that we don't want in our town, that we don't want in our church. We don't want them in our family. We don't want them in our way. But I don't know how we can read the story of Jesus and the leper and not be convicted and not find ourselves struggling with these instincts. I have no easy answers for this, no pat answers, but it does strike me that maybe a stepping point, a starting point, a stepping stone towards viewing them as more human would be to sit down with one for a cup of coffee and talk. Actually, that would be enormously countercultural today, wouldn't it? Because I think our nation has lost the ability to carry out civil discourse with our opposition. Whoever our opposition might be, we just don't even want to talk to them. But what if you were to have the courage to invite someone to coffee, to tea, and say, could you just tell me your story? The gospel reminds me that we have a a rabbi who reached out and touched the untouchable and invites me to consider doing the same. But the more I reflected on that, I realized we also have a Savior who reached out and touched me, the untouchable me. For I was loathsome in the eyes of God. My sin was repulsive to God. And God had every reason to hold me at a distance, to keep me afar, to declare me unclean. And yet what did God do? He came to me. He welcomed me. He touched me. He embraced me. He saved me. He adopted me. He filled me with his spirit. I pray that this encounter with God's word, that the Holy Spirit will convict us of our self-righteousness and of our arrogance, that will open our eyes to see others that we view as less than human, as subhuman, as untouchable, as pariahs. Open our eyes to see them as beloved of God and have the courage to act in a way that Jesus acted, which was to touch them in some way with the healing power and grace of Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we cannot do that without you. This is not us gritting our teeth and being better persons because in our cores we are not that at all. We have these prejudices and these fears and this sense of self-righteousness that holds us aloof and apart and above. Please forgive us. And more than that, please change us. What difference would it make in this community if a thousand people walked out of this morning saying, I'm going to be kind to those that I loathe. I am going to be gracious to the loathsome, to the pariah, to the untouchable. I'm going to touch. I'm going to speak. I'm going to listen. And I'm going to do something to convey the mercy, the grace, the pity, the passion of Jesus Christ. 
Lord, as we walk out the doors of amnesia today, please help us remember that. For we pray it through the name of the one who touched us when we were untouchable, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.